Hello and welcome to Metaphorically Speaking. I'm Delia Delore and each week we dissect a popular motto, mantra or metaphor, looking at its origin and finding how it translates to everyday life. We also have a special guest who can speak about their resonance with their chosen expression. I'm going to start a little differently today by asking you if you can guess what today's metaphor is from the following little clip. It comes from one of the earliest child winners of a TV talent contest decades before America, Britain, Australia or any of the other countries had, as they say, got talent. As annoying as many people have found it, there was no denying the power in the voice of this 11-year-old, to this day the youngest person ever to have a top 10 record album in the UK. You've guessed who it is, Lena Zavaroni. she surely blasts it out. Did you guess the metaphor? It was making eyes at. There's not much clear evidence of a derivation of this particular metaphor, but there have been slightly different versions in print since around 1592, such as throwing the eye at, or making sheep's eyes at, or pulling with the eyes. One of the earliest recorded uses of our specific phrase is in William Makepeace Thackeray's Henry Esmond, published in 1852. She used to make eyes at the Duke of Marlborough. One dictionary's definition of this idiom is a shy, longing, usually amorous gaze. Another calls it a flirtatious look. And we could summarise all of them by saying that making eyes at someone is repeated glances with flirtatious intent. Let's just note the four elements of that. There's the glance, there's the repetition, there's the flirting, and last but not least, the intent. I have those four words written down in front of me now because later on we'll have a closer look at this definition. Before I go on, though, a shout out to our blind and partially sighted listeners, because most of this may at first seem irrelevant to your everyday lives. We'll be exploring the importance of eyes and sight, both personal and cultural, but please don't switch off, because you'll be able to draw a lot of parallels that don't involve vision. We can think of many situations where touch, scent vocalisation and hearing can be just as informative and indeed even more powerful than sight could ever be. Perhaps you could contact the programme with a suggestion for a future metaphor that we can explore along those lines. So remembering that, back to today's metaphor. In your eyes, I can see my dreams reflections See the reasons why I love the 
often said that the eyes are the most expressive part of the body, but that's not entirely accurate. Technically, the eye really is basically just a ball with a control aperture at the front, a lens in the middle, and a screen at the back, like a very simple camera, but with a hugely complex image management system further up the line in the brain. What we might think is in the eyes really comes from tiny muscles in the cheeks, mouth and forehead, arranging the flesh around the eyes. These delicate changes happen unconsciously with different emotions and we learn to recognize them as sad eyes, serious eyes or happy eyes, for instance. In other words, we see what is happening around someone's eyes, but we can only register the overall pattern. Like most perceptions, this is something we learn to various degrees of skill and also interpret in differing ways. The proverb, seeing is believing, is very relevant here because we instinctively trust our interpretation of what we see and yet we can have very different views from each other. Here's Neil Patrick Harris, a.k.a. Dr. Horrible, and his assistant to explain. I cannot believe my eyes How the world's filled with filth and lies But it's plain to see Evil inside of me is on the As well as different ways of interpreting what we see, we all know how easily we can be misled. In the words of the classic sideshow magician, the quickness of the hand deceives the eye. And we all know about visual illusions with so many to be found on the internet. Let's be clear, what our eye sees real, but what happens after the light hits that screen at the back of the eyeball, the retina, depends on how our brains are programmed to interpret the data. Let's briefly consider how it was that the eyes became mixed up in the whole idea of romance. Forward-facing eyes and the ability to judge distance gave humans an ecological advantage over other species, in daylight at least. We can see much farther and more acutely than we can hear or smell, taste or touch. So eyes became the most revered of the senses in hunter-gatherer times. We can add the fact that we have an instinctive urge to turn and look at anything out of the ordinary in our close environment. Something attracts our attention and looking is our primary reaction. 
babies and young children will continue to stare, but as we grow up, we learn that holding a gaze is a social cue to which we have to react. Therefore, as our eyes chance to meet another pair of eyes, there is an awkward moment when we must instantly either hold the gaze or look away. That is a powerful moment, and it can be exploited. Look into my eyes, look into my eyes, the eyes, the eyes, not around the eyes, don't look around the eyes, look into my eyes, you're under. In one hour's time I will click my fingers and you will all believe that you have witnessed a superb hypnotic comedy show that was excellent value for money, much better than Paul McKenna and that new bloke, Darren what's his name and you will tell all your friends. Hold the thought. When we bring ancient human cultures into the mix, we see a widespread association of eyes with beauty and visual beauty has long been a powerful factor in sexual attraction and in more recent times, romantic love. So we have sexual or romantic attraction and we have an awkward moment that can be exploited. Add the two together and we have flirtation. And that seems like an ideal place to pause and introduce my guest for today. Cecilia Fitz is the CEO of Cecilia's Institute of Cosmetology in St. Lucia. It is the leading training facility for beauty professionals. Ms. Fitz is also a motivational speaker and soon-to-be author. Hello, Cecilia. It's nice to join you again with Metaphorically Speaking. You have become a very popular guest with our, our listeners, so our feedback tells us. So thank you again for joining us. You're most welcome, Delia. It is my pleasure being back on your show. So we have a metaphor that our writers really wanted to get cracking on it. They really loved it. But we were thinking, who would be the best guest to perhaps explain this uh, metaphor? And uh, your name came up more or less instantly from a couple of members. So we thought, you know what, let's just reach out to you and see whether um, it's something that you... Uh, can talk about whether it's something that it does resonate with you. So the metaphor um, is making eyes at. Now, being based in the Caribbean, I know that it has different connotations than most places. So when you hear making eyes at, what goes through your mind? Three things come to mind when I hear making eyes at. Again, I'm from the Caribbean, so I see it in many different lights. I see it sometimes if it is a male or female making eyes at to the opposite gender. I see it being something like a sexy, nonverbal communication. Um, again, it depends on the forum. Sometimes... I can see it as someone being inspired by what they see, so they're making eyes at you. But I can also see it in a negative light, depending on the thoughts and emotion an individual is going through at the time. I can see this as being negative, maybe somebody being jealous or somebody not being totally pleased with what they see. So I think it all depends on the circumstance, the occasion, and, and maybe depending on one's thoughts and emotions, how they feel, they would interpret making eyes at in any of those three ways or possibly more. 
Yeah, definitely. And also, sometimes we tend to forget that the eyes are the most expressive elements in our bodies. A lot of times, and most of the times, I think people concentrate on body language than they do with the eyes. And I feel that, you know, sometimes when they say, especially I, I was actually thinking, how can I say that this metaphor resonates with me and I was trying to think of examples and the only one that immediately came to mind was like being with my husband and just you know like giving him giving him an eye like looking at him in a certain way so that he I'm giving him the eye but I'm giving him an eye in terms of a direction like um you know like when someone starts to say something and you're like, oh, no, 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 don't say that or don't go there or don't look that way. or So I was thinking the only way I can think of it was when I'm kind of giving him the eyes, I'm looking at him in such a way to try and direct him. But it doesn't really work with him because even though I say to him, you know, when I look at you in a certain way, I know you know what I'm saying through my eyes but please don't give it away. He's one of those people, his face is full of expression. <laughs> so <laughs> if I give him that, that eye, he will immediately, if he's talking, he will not stop, he will not continue to talk like nothing's happening. He will stop and read my eyes so everyone will see that he's looking at me. <laughs> Do you remember any time that perhaps you would have used that expression making eyes at? Well, I have a young 10 year old and I'm always making eyes at, especially if I see unfavorable behavior in public and I don't want to say anything to her. She knows when I give her that look, mm. she must stop or change whatever she's doing. So mainly between my daughter and myself, I'm always giving her the eye. And sometimes she gives me the eye if I am maybe telling someone something about her. Maybe she had done well at school. And as a mother, you know, sometimes we're a little bit boastful about our kids. She would give me that eye like, mommy, don't be telling people my business. <laughs> so I think making eyes at it, when I, when I really thought about the metaphor, I really believe that it is one of our strongest, if not most often used, non-verbal forms of communication. But I guess the interpretation would be based on the individual who is receiving the eyes. Yes, definitely. Especially if you're the one, you know, receiving it. It can be a very uncomfortable thing when someone is making the eye. Or sometimes you feel that eyes are on you. You know, that you have specific eyes are on you when they're not supposed to be. It's okay. I mean, you um, do motivational speaking, so you'll be used to people having their eyes on you. But can you remember a time then perhaps when an eye or eyes were on you that was not part of your job, not part of, well, I'm expecting people to look at me, but you just kind of feel somebody is looking at you. Can you remember that kind of feeling? Almost all the time, whenever, I mean, I'm a cosmetologist and I'm not shy to do things with my hair that is different. I'm not shy to stand out in the crowd. I, I design my own clothing as well. 
So most of the times when I'm out in public, I could feel those eyes are looking. And I feel for me, those eyes are looking because many of these individuals may not have the confidence or the, uh, they are unwilling to come to say to me, well, I like your dress or I don't like your dress or I love your hair. So I can feel those eyes are looking. And when I catch an eye, I nicely just communicate with a smile that I see you and I'm aware that you're looking and I know you're looking because you're inspired. So I give that smile that would kind of, you know, make this individual feel a lot more comfortable as opposed to feeling offended by looking at me. Yes. And as you were talking, I remember the situation that happened to me in St. Lucia oh, many years ago. I think I was still in school. And, um, you know, you do childish things. And I was involved in radio at the time. And um, there was somebody I really liked. And I said to the, <laughs> said to the, the uh, presenter, oh, please, it's this person's birthday. Um, can you please play a song, you know? And just say it's from a secret admirer because you know these. I don't know whether they still use that term in in uh, the Caribbean. Does they don't do that in England? Yes, we but do. They, yes, we, we do. say you know right. So I remember the the DJ and I remember the person. <laughs> and the person played the song. I only have eyes for you. I don't remember oh, the artist. Yeah. I only have eyes, and I thought. What a crap song to play. Because I thought that's not a nice song to tell somebody that, you know, that you that you like them. And listening to you, although it's not a major part of the metaphor, I think that it can be seen as being part of a metaphor because I was saying that I only have eyes for this person. Although it wasn't my eyes, it was perhaps my heart at the time, you know, um, young love type thing. Uh, but the the only good thing about it is that um, the person found out and it was good because, you know, we had our time and, you know, it was just a little, you know, as we call it puppy love in the UK, you call it a little puppy love type thing. So although I was, you know, in my early teens, but um, I wasn't kind of exposed to that kind of romanticism at that at that age. I'm lucky to say, because, of course, in, in this day and age, and I even uh, uh, read uh, recently that there is uh, the Caribbean is looking, the UN is looking with the Caribbean uh, at a document that um, says that uh, children are sexually active at age 12 and they're preparing a report on that. And I felt that that report, the way that I, I initially um, was, uh, I initially started reading it, it felt as if it was, going to be accepted and I mean it could be I could I'm sure I'm totally wrong I hope I'm totally wrong but the language used was something like well you know times have changed so perhaps it's something that we need to discuss and yes I think we do need to discuss it but it just seemed like it was um receptive of it I'm sure that's wrong and I'm going off track but I think the thing of having eyes um it can be can be quite deep in terms of the reaction that you get, how you respond to it. And as you said earlier, you feel someone's eyes on you and they're not really supposed to be on you. You, you know, respond by smiling back. And I think a lot of people, that's where they go wrong because they don't do that, do they? They tend to, would you say, would you agree with that? 
I, I think, again, it would be dependent on the individual's thoughts or maybe even their past experiences. Because for me, I see the eyes as the doorway to the soul. So for me, when I look at a person, I'm looking at many things. I'm a people's person, so when I see an individual, I'm seeing a human being, I'm seeing somebody who should be loved no matter in what situation they may be. As a beautician, I'm always looking at ways that I can transform an individual when I see them. So I'm really looking for inspiration. How could I enhance this individual, even if I don't talk to them, but if I were given the opportunity, what could I have done? So I really believe it would be dependent on an individual's thoughts, you know, the type of thoughts that an individual has. Because of course, thoughts bring on our every emotion. And if it is an individual who might be emotionally disturbed by negative thoughts, if a person is looking at them, they may give them, you know, instead of a smile, maybe a look that might seem offensive. Because remember, all of this is nonverbal communication going on in, in a space where individuals may not even know each other. Mm -hmm. So there might be a lot of judgments being brought across by many people. But for me, I, I, I mean, I have passed that stage because I understand that for me, my thoughts should be about, it does not matter who an individual is. I am in no position to judge them based on their actions or their behaviors. So when I give an individual an eye or I look at or I throw my eyes at an individual, for me, I, I see it more as wanting to be inspired or trying to understand what I have just seen. I've been trying to look at a scale of when I've seen other people making eyes at others, how that person who's being looked at responds. And at this moment, I think out of 10, I would say six people pretend that they didn't even see it. They just pretend that this didn't happen. I would say two of them would glare at that person like, you know, what do you think you're looking at? Who do you think you're looking at? Why are you looking at me? And I think maybe one person, one person might kind of like smile back. And maybe the other person might just do a little like acknowledgement, like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why you're looking at me, but okay. I've seen you look at me, but it doesn't mean that you can smile back at me. I'm just acknowledging that I've seen you look at me. That's the way I look at it. And I think that's me talking on a more, um, I wouldn't say a business level, maybe a woman, a woman to woman, I think, because I don't, I think this happens more with women than they do with men. And I think that when we look at men, if men are doing it, they're doing it to somebody they know, as opposed to somebody they don't know. I don't think men make eyes. I think they stare, but will quickly divert their eyes. Whereas for some reason, women, they don't divert their eyes as quickly as men. I don't know, that, may, that might sound like wacko, but that's where my thought process is going with this. 
Any thoughts on what I've just said? Yeah, well, for me, I see if somebody make eyes at me, I usually see it as an opportunity for communication, whether it be verbal or non-verbal. And it all depends, like I said, of how you feel at the time as an individual who is receiving those eyes. You would now interpret those eyes based on your feelings. And I think that's where you will decide what type of message you are sending across. So for me, when I see eyes or I'm sending eyes, I, I see it as an opportunity, an open door for communication. Again, the communication would be dependent on you or the individual as to what type of message you were sending across based on the judgment that you have made. Well, I know that this conversation, and I hope with my listeners, it will let them start thinking, well, you know what, the next time this happens to me, I'm going to smile, you know, because at the end of the day, if the person's looking at you in a way that you may feel they are staring or it's uncomfortable, if you smile, you're showing your confidence, you're showing good manners. If you don't smile, then that person is likely to um, think that you are what they imagine you to be, you know? So I think that I've not consciously thought about if I sit there, someone's staring at, me, staring at me, what will I do? I just react when it happens. And if I think about it, most of the time I will acknowledge. I might not smile, but I'll acknowledge. I'll maybe like nod my head, you know, uh, maybe a slight smile. I'm just like nod my head. Um, and as you say, it gives, uh, provides opportunities for an easier communication whether it's man woman or child you know the eyes are the are the most expressive part of your body and eyes can tell someone yes you know I welcome communication with you or no I don't welcome communication with you so it's it's about thinking about how you're going to react so that when it does happen you're prepared so you have um led me to think a bit more about that in the future but what are you up to I know you've been very busy with your daughter, who's a, an author and a performer of so many things. I see her on Facebook doing so many different things. So what, what, what are the two of you up to? And of course, Sarah has been on the program when she was talking about her book earlier in the year. So what have you both been up to? Well, she has now started her second book called Rise of the Volcano. So she has been working on that. So we actually took the opportunity during the summer to go to the only walking volcano in St. Lucia, which is known as our Sulphur Springs. Mm -hmm. So we went there, we took a formal tour where she was given all the information that she could ever want mm -hmm. to put in her book. I am also in the process of writing my own book. And this book is really based on how thoughts and emotions affect our everyday lives. So that's why you hear me talking so much about thoughts and emotions, because I really think it is what really governs what we do when we are in the presence of other people. So I am at the place where I'm beginning to look at my own patterns, because I think um, this is what we send out to the rest of the world. We carry patterns of who we are, and it's like we are painting a picture everywhere we go, carrying those thoughts and emotions. So for me, I'm at the place where I'm trying to understand 
what types of patterns and I'm, I, am I sending out? Is it what I want the world to receive? Is it how I want people to judge who I am? So I would put it in a nutshell. I'm really trying to understand and to become the best version of who I can be that I can present to the rest of the world. So I'm really putting that in my book and um, doing all of the research, understanding the thoughts, understanding why they come, how they come, what emotions are triggered by those thoughts that are going through my head and how people who I am interacting with is really interpreting those emotions that I am sending out to my various behaviors. Very, very interesting. I'm hoping that you have a section that talks about um, telling yourself when it's time to make a change. This morning, I uh, woke up with Jay Shetty, and I, I say that, you know, <laughs> I woke up with listening to him uh, with uh, on the Calm um, app, and he was talking about how our thoughts, similar to what you've just said, um, how sometimes we have to stop and really analyze our thoughts, and how do we decide when it's time to accept that we're doing really well in the path that we're taking or whether it's time to make a change and he said that many times the the example that he was given was uh, talking about a friend who had been offered a new job but the new job was away from where he lived and so he was trying to decide do I follow my career path and make new friends or do I remain where I am and where I feel safe and secure? And he explained, it's about the thought process and how do you go through those thoughts? And when you talk to people and they ask, you ask them, what do they think? At the end of the day, it's your decision. So how do you make that decision? So with your book, I, I'm interested to know whether you have thought of um, talking about when you have come to terms with your thoughts, how do you know that you're actually already on the right path or maybe you should consider making a change? It's amazing you would say that because I have a big section in my book dedicated to change. And I think change is what really stops us. For me, going back on my past, I can tell you the fear of change has really stopped me from making a lot of decisions that I have made in the past. And the reason for that is, again, it depends on the thoughts and thoughts of past experiences, not wanting to go into the unknown and understanding that change is inevitable, whether we want change or not, change will happen and learning to adapt to those change by simply being aware of our thoughts. Because I think for so long, um, I had been operating from a place of thought process, which was based on just many past experiences and not aware that these were the programs that was propelling my every decision. So I believe that we can only change our situations when we are aware of the thoughts that drives us. 
and we are aware of how those thoughts affect us. And really, some of those thoughts, which is based on our past experiences, really doesn't serve us any purpose. And I came to that conclusion during 2020 when I actually did a course with the University of Future Thinking in California, where I understood, look, the future, no one knows. So you can create as many creative thoughts as you like, and no one can tell you that you're wrong or you're right because no one has been there. So for me, that just gave me a new perspective of life to become a little bit more creative with the things that I think about and not limit myself to where I am or limit myself to the experiences that I have gone through in the past, understanding that change must happen and also that change brings an array of wonderful opportunities. Mm -hmm. It would depend on whether or not you are willing and able to accept those opportunities. But it's more for me, it's more about being away. And for me, what I try to do mentally now is like to be aware of the thoughts that I am going through at every moment of the day. Because sometimes you go through a situation, I, I don't know if that happens to you, Delia, or any of your viewers. You are dealing with a situation and you have gone 10 light years down the road of things that have not happened yet. And that brings a lot along a whole lot of fear mm. that stops you from making enabling decisions to be able to get out of the situation that you are in. So what I try to do is to try to be aware of what thought is driving me in this moment. So it's to raise that level of mental awareness or consciousness, if you want to call it that, to be aware of the thoughts that is driving me at any one moment of my day. It sounds like we have to practice uh, what we do to other people when we do reverse psychology, where you, you try to tell someone what the good will be if they go down those paths instead of thinking what the bad may be if you follow those paths. But Cecilia, it's been wonderful as usual to talk to you. And uh, I can't wait to get back to the Caribbean island of St. Lucia. And of course, I'll be seeing you then. Thank you very much, Delia, for having me. And I'm looking forward to seeing you in November, if anything. Yes, that would be great. Thank you. And say uh, hello and goodbye to Sarah for me. <laughs> Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. See how many metaphors about parts of the body you can count in this next short clip. Well, the whole team looks on their last legs, Jim. And yeah, sure, they might be looking defeat in the face, but they've big hearts, these players, you know, and broad shoulders and strong stomachs for a challenge. So I think if they just grit their teeth, they could get a second wind and pull this off, Jim. Well, there were a few there, but when it comes to eyes, there are a lot more metaphors that mention them than any other part of the body. I'm sure you could list at least a dozen without much trouble. In a way, this is another indication of how deeply ingrained the eyes are in our consciousness. And we haven't even touched on widespread and ancient cultural references to an all-seeing eye, as illustrated on every US dollar bill, or the belief that we all have a third eye hidden behind our forehead, 
and more often than not ignored, that's responsible for insight, intuition, and access to a higher consciousness. Some relate this to the pineal gland at the front of the brain, which is semi-dormant in humans, but highly active in reptiles and amphibians. The eyes are often described as the windows to the soul, and we often imagine that we can read what's in another person's mind, or even plant an idea there by gazing into their eyes. Perhaps it's true. Let me show you an old Transylvanian method for relaxation. Look into my eyes. Your eyelids are getting heavy. You feel that... Ranfield, you fell asleep too soon. I have more to tell you. Or perhaps not. Just to go off the subject for a moment, our writer David McDade has told me that he spent hours trying to find a clip of Bela Lugosi, whose performance as Count Dracula set the mould for decades of films to follow. Although long dead... Or is he? He is still associated with that phrase, look into my eyes. And yet it seems he may never have actually said it. But be that as it may, anthropologists and psychologists recognise the important role that our eyes play, not only in perceiving the world around us, but as part of a whole complex system of facial muscles and expressions silently communicating with each other, whether we're aware of it or not. No need to go heel to get the bulge on a tub like you. Is that a fact? Hmm. That's a fact. Well, I'm real scared. Damn right you're scared. I can see that in your eyes. All right, man, go ahead. Go ahead, skin it. Skin that smoke wagon and see what happens. And in popular songs also, there is a strong theme that the truth can be seen from looking into someone's eyes, even if they are trying to disguise it. When first I saw the love light in your eyes, I dreamt the world held Joy for me. This belief in the power of the eyes has, of course, carried into the world of sexual attraction. Many animal species use their eyes to judge a potential mate's attractiveness, and displays of feathers, or colors, or strength, or even nesting techniques are used to draw the attention of would be suitors. Initial attraction is a bit like an art review for many species, and human beings too. Just think of the number of ways people enhance their appearance or put on a show when they have attracting a mate in mind. Once that attention has been gained, when we have caught that person's eye, so to speak, especially at a distance, we may try to encourage it by making eyes at them. Maybe millions of people will go by, but they all disappear from you. 
In the first segment of the program, I said that we could define when a person is making eyes at someone else by four key elements. The glance, the repetition, the flirtation and the intent. Let's look at them more closely. When two people gaze constantly into each other's eyes, it will usually indicate either a strong challenge, as with sumo wrestlers, boxers at the weigh-in, or utter trust and comfort in each other, as with lovers. Glancing eye contact is natural, however, and unobtrusive. Romance novels sometimes speak of stolen glances, but when making eyes, the hope is that they will look back and continue doing so. Repeated glances, however, indicate a willingness to make eye contact, perhaps to prolong it, and maybe also suggests shyness, but helplessness to resist their charms. Love has and I thank God I'm alive. You're just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you. It's suggestion that's at the heart of making eyes, but it may not be overt. Instead, it avoids straightforward approach or invitation to ease the embarrassment if the attraction isn't returned. Hints and suggestions from bowing the head and widening eyes to raising the head and lengthening glances into stares and smiles. That's the flirting aspect. And lastly, making eyes at someone isn't an accident. It's not just involuntarily glancing at an attractive person, but a deliberate display of attention, a signal of sexual attraction. There is definite intent to catch the eye of the other person and get their attention. Because it's subtle, however, it can always be denied if it doesn't have the desired result. Well, I have to admit I'm confused and maybe you are too. But that's what flirtation does to us sometimes. When you're making eyes at someone, or you think they're making eyes at you, it's never straightforward, is it? Well, it's not exactly about today's metaphor, but what with the whole subject of romance, communication, and, of course, eyes, I can't resist ending with possibly the most famous movie quote of all time. Now, now. He's looking at you, kid. Thanks for listening to this episode of Metaphorically Speaking. I hope you enjoyed it and will tune in again for the next one. Thank you to David McDade for such a wonderful script. I really, really enjoyed learning about the eyes, didn't you? Thank you to our guest, Cecilia Fitz. 
It's been a wonderful pleasure, as usual, to talk her resonance with making Isaac really brought back some wonderful childhood memories for me. And I wonder whether it brought back some memories for you too. Don't forget, if you'd like to suggest a metaphor for an upcoming show, you can reach us at info at metaphoricallyspeaking.uk. And of course, you can leave a review on colourful.com and listen to other episodes there. We also have our podcast, Metaphorically Speaking, which is on Apple, Spotify and all major streaming platforms. We depend on you to help us grow so we can produce the best content for you to enjoy. I'm not a betting person, but I can bet that listening to this program, you have learned so much about metaphors that you took for granted. Don't forget to join us for another metaphor next week. Until then, I'm Didier Delors. As usual, as I say, please keep safe and see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.